Good afternoon, Bob. Good afternoon, Bill. How are you? I'm doing good. This is August 21st, episode 36 of the Bob and Bill podcast, and I trust that you have enjoyed the week. If you're missing the podcast that aired before this, you're really missing a blessing, and we'll talk about those at the end of the broadcast today. But today we're doing part two of Pastor Rob Rodriguez's message from the book of 2 Peter. He was here at America's Keswick. This is part two of his Wednesday morning message. Let's give a watch. The Bible is our final authority for, for our faith and rule and practice. Not your opinion, not your interpretation of it that we'll read later, what the Bible says, what it says at face value. And so who's he writing to? To those who, through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. I love this. And I want you to see, maybe there's some things that, that, that you, a lot of times, you know, when, when we read the, the beginning of epistles, especially, we know, we see things like grace and peace and greetings and all that stuff. And we're like, yeah, yeah, they always write that. And then we move on to verse two. I want you to think about what he says here. To those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. So first, let's think about who we are in Jesus, okay? Look, to those, okay, so there's a group of us who through the righteousness of who? Our God and Savior. So not through our own works, not through our own good deeds, because our, even our righteousness is as filthy rags in the presence of God. All of us are sinners saved by grace. Jesus says, without me you can do nothing. Okay, so if that's true, through God's righteousness, through Jesus Christ our Savior, through what he did for us on the cross, we have done what? Received a faith as precious as ours. So I want to first talk about that receiving of faith. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. It wasn't by accident. You had nothing to do with it. It's not your story, it's His story. And so everything bad that's happened in your life, everything that you don't even want to talk about, the things that get you the most ticked about your upbringing, the good things in your life, the successes, the timeline from when you were born to when you finally received Jesus Christ, that was planned before the world even started. And God loved you so much that in a moment of time, he did something that you could not do for yourself. He quickened, he made your spirit alive so that when you heard the word of God after he did that, it would sound different than it ever did before. Something then sparked, and as you heard the word of God proclaimed to you about who you were and who God was and who Jesus was, Something changed that you finally said yes instead of no. And I want you to know that faith that you had to receive Jesus did not come from you. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that is not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works so no one can boast. 
Your grace, the grace, the unmerited favor, the supernatural enabling that you have, the faith that you have does not come from you. They are both gifts of God. So if you are saved here this morning, you did nothing to earn it. You should not be here right now. It didn't have to be this way. But the mercy of God allowed it to be this way. And so Peter remembers these things. And he says this, as miraculous, as glorious as that is, he finds commonality. And he says this, as a faith as precious as ours. So whether he means of all apostles or whoever's in the room when Peter's writing, or just he uses it the way pastors sometimes say we when we just mean me, but you know what I mean? Whenever you speak, no matter what he means, here's what he says. You were an enemy of God. Through his mercy and grace, you are now a child of God. And that transformation and that experience that you're experiencing right now is the same thing that I, Peter, experienced and so just because I'm an apostle, I want you to understand, apostles don't receive greater salvation than people who aren't apostles. Every single one of us is level at the foot of the cross. And so we're all the same. I don't care if you were born in church or not. We're all the same. There's such thing as a religious unsaved sinner. But there's also something as a carnal saint. And so it's all this level ground that comes in across as you receive the same faith. You're receiving the same transformation like we were. So then he says this, okay, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and, our, and of Jesus our Lord. So grace and peace, okay? So grace and pre peace, I'm afraid, has become like thoughts and prayers, that it really is something that you say real quick. You may cut and paste it, and then every time somebody's going through something, yeah, you know, I'll pray for you when you really don't. So sometimes I think when we read that in the Bible, grace and peace, we have the same kind of, eh, it's, you know, whatever, grace and peace. So the full phrase is this. It's actually kind of a condensed way of what the actual first century phrase that, that Christians had to one another, and it was this. I pray that the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you always and forever. Amen. All right, I have some punch to it. All right. Hey, somebody came up to you today and said this, hey, I pray that the grace of God and the peace of God has, you know, surpasses all understanding in your life forever. And the people just start praying, like, hallelujah. Right? I mean, something would happen, right? It's not a normal thing. For the first century church, it was a normal thing. This is how they greeted one another. They, they were... This Christian—guys, this Christianity was so fresh to them, it was so vibrant in their life, that they could not wait to communicate with someone else who's been through the same experience. We have come a long way from the first century faith of our forefathers. And we just go, grace and peace. No. We should, this week. The reason why Bill has you pray for the person to your left and the person to your right, and then for yourself. Because it should be our desire that every single one of us that's listening to the Word of God has the grace of God impact their life. 
and have the peace of God impact their life. It's that important. So he says this grace and peace, and it's always in abundance. Peter doesn't just pray, I pray that you have a dabble of grace, a dabble of peace to get by today. He goes, no, I pray that it's in abundance. So how does, let's look at the Bible equation here, because today we're going to talk about the mathematics of our faith. And this is the first chapter of, of 2 Peter. Look at the equation. Grace plus peace times an exponential amount of abundance, where does it come from? Knowledge of who? God and Jesus our Lord. So grace and peace can be abundant in your life by knowing Jesus. That word knowledge has the connotation of being very cerebral, right? But in biblical terms, the word knowledge, it does include intellect. It does. Don't, you know, it's not full, just experiential. But the word knowledge in the Bible is also matched with wisdom that comes from God that you don't have on your own, but also has to do with a timeline to it and an intensity to it. So your knowledge of who Jesus is depends on how strong, how often, and how life-changing that experience with him has been. So just saying, I know Jesus, isn't enough to have grace and peace in abundance. Knowing Jesus works like anything else. The way you know someone, it determines how close you are to that person. I could say, I know one of you because I saw you walk from St. Memorial Lodge. But it's different for me to say, I know you as if I know your birthday, I know your favorite color, I know what makes you sad, I know what makes you happy. There's care involved in a mutual way. No, it's totally different. So my first question for you today in this mathematics, what does the knowledge of Jesus Christ equal in your life? Do you know him like you should? You say, Rob, grace and peace really doesn't cut it for me. Maybe the answer to that question could be because grace and peace isn't in abundance. And the reason why it's not in an overwhelming abundance that should, that should do things in your life to satisfy your soul, to give you a victorious life, maybe the reason why is because your knowledge of Jesus isn't all it's cracked up to be. How bright is the light in the dark place. Let's look at verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who's called us by His own glory and goodness. So first I want to skip ahead to the second phrase. It says this, has given us everything we need. 
for a godly life. Okay, so here's where I want to make sure that we're targeting and focusing on what the Word of God says, and we're not making the Word of God say what it doesn't say to help us, you know, have a nice t-shirt or something, okay? It doesn't say here that God has given everything that we need. Peter is focusing in on something very specific. He says God has given us everything we need for what type of life? A godly life. You see, one of the, the things that you and I have to be very careful of in our life and in our Christian experience, and we all don't think the same way theologically. I, I get that. But if you start thinking that God supplies every need that you have, the one need that you think you need that God doesn't think you need and you don't get, all of a sudden you think you're in trouble with God. And we have to be very, very careful about the false teaching of a prosperity gospel where your relationship with God is measured on how much stuff you get from Him. Because the Bible is clear that he has given us everything that we need in order for us to have a what type of life? A godly life. You don't need a Mercedes to have a godly life. You don't need a Gulfstream or a Bentley for a godly life. You don't need to have a worldwide platform in order to have a godly life. You don't need good health to have a godly life. You don't need to have a ton of friends to have a godly life. The, what you need for a godly life is what God will give you that we're going to talk about. So what we need sometimes doesn't match up with what we want. And so I want us to spend some time focusing in on what we need instead of what we want. And so our need is to have a godly life. That's why the theme for our summer here at Keswick is Destination Holiness. Because that's the destination we should all be trying to go to. Holiness. Holiness. Because that's really the, the only success that Jesus wants us to have because he says that he wants us and his, his goal is to conform us into the image of his son. And he says, be holy for I'm holy. That's what he wants. So, what gives us everything that we need for the godly life? Let's go back now to the beginning of verse 3. His divine power. Okay, so in most places in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, the word power comes from the Greek word dunamis, which we get dynamite from. Okay, so when we're talking about the power of God, I don't want you to just think of something that when you plug in your coffee maker, the light, you know, the power goes on. I want you to think of if you plugged in your coffee maker and the entire building blew up. Like that, that type of power, you know? Like it, it, it's, it's, the, it's the splitting of the atom type of power. And he says that it's this power that only generates from God. This is what gives you everything that you need. So I want you to see how great God's supply is for us. In order for us to be more like him, he's given us the stuff to do that. Right? So, I was sharing with the staff yesterday that, um, so I was here for one board meeting, and I think it was like the Christmas party, and Pete, who runs food services, uh, him and his team, they made beef wellington. Whew, right? I mean, that's, that's my favorite thing in the whole world. And so, my kids, well, first of all, I tried by myself to recreate beef wellington during this lockdown because I had nothing else to do, Right? 
And it came out miserably. It was, I mean, the crust was full. I used the wrong kind of crust. Everything was wrong. And I'm thinking about, like, you know, and I tried doing it again, and, and it came out better. And one of the reasons that I, reason why I messed up the first time and, it, and I did a little bit better the second time is because I was following the directions the second time. So here's what I did the first time. I found a video from Gordon Ramsay. And you know what is, what is, you know, is his cheeky British accent and a ton of profanity I had to like bleep out. He's like, you know, we're going to make a beep, beep, beef Wellington, you know? And so I'm following the thing and I'm trying to pause and grease is getting all over my iPad. I'm not, I think I got it right. And all these things. And I, and I, I missed like four ingredients and I missed, and I got the wrong temperature on the oven and everything was wrong. I wasn't following directions, but when I used what I was supposed to use and what I was given to use, it came out pretty good. You know, God has given us exactly what we need in order to accomplish his purpose in our life specifically and overall that he wants us to be more like him. And so it's through this power. So not get, I want you to understand, the word power is not just supply. It's also enabling because you have the grace of God. Okay, so it's not like God gave you this big clunky book called the Bible and goes, boom, follow it and you'll be good. He says as you read it, the word will, will transform you because of his spirit that it's not just because you're turning pages and reading. It's that as you're reading, God is actually speaking to you through his word. And that's what causes the transformation. That is what the divine power to live a godly life. Why? Let's continue in verse 3. Through our, again, the knowledge of him, and then he reminds us what this knowledge, how did we get this knowledge of Jesus? Because God, like we talked about, called us by his own glory and goodness. In order for us to have a godly life, we have to recognize that his divine power gave us everything we need in order to have a godly life. Why? Because by himself, because he's glorious and he's good, he decided to call you out and save you. The day you got saved, there were some people who heard the exact same message who didn't get saved. And that receiving of the faith and the grace that God gave you changed everything. And so when we talk about remembering where we came from, I want you to remember where you came from and where God found you and saved you. And from that moment, your knowledge should have been growing. And it's not too late. You can continue to grow and allow him to change your life and you use the supply and the empowering and the enabling from reading the word of God and the spirit of God convicting you and conforming you and changing you so that you can see real change in your life so your destination is holiness verse 4 through these okay the power everything he's given us he has given us his very great and precious promises 
So His divine power gives us everything that we need in order for us to have a godly life. And this godly life and everything we need recognizes that He has this divine power and He's using that power to increase our knowledge and our understanding and our, the intensity of our relationship with Him so that we understand that the things that He's given us are great and precious promises. So not only does God say He's going to give you everything that you need, He puts His seal of promise that He will always do it. We have great and precious promises from the Word of God. I will never leave you or forsake you. Do you realize how many times we, we use that verse? It seems like we only use the promise of, God's, of God when we absolutely searched for everything else and nothing else worked. Then we rely on the promises of God. Hey, let me ask you a question. When's the last time you Google searched something the Bible said? If you're honest, it's probably when things weren't going well and you were trying to remember a verse that you learned growing up or something and you're like, I can't get it, but I'm really, really anxious right now, so let me do that. If our knowledge of God was on par with what, the way God wanted us to be, we would be remembering those promises every day. And if we're not, we'd be looking them up every day in order for them to finally sink in to where they're supposed to be. Now, and I'm going to share something with you. I'm, I'm not the greatest reader. And I know leaders are readers. And, I, and I, I can't stand reading. I really can't. And I'm really bad at memorizing verses. I'm not good at it. And so when I see these little kids stand up and memorize verses, I'm like, man, they got that in a day? Wow, you know? But I think if we are honest with ourselves, the experience or the experiential relationship we have with Jesus is lying. Because if, God, if we hide God's word in our heart, and it sounds so cliche and it's so, it's so Sunday schoolish, but it's so biblical to hide his word in your heart so that you understand these great and precious promises that we have. Why? So that, okay, what do we get to do with everything he's given us? The end of verse 4, so that, so that through them you might participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. A godly life allows us a closeness with God that the Bible describes as participating in the very nature of the divine. You and I have no business being in the throne room of God. Did you know that? There's no reason why you should be able to claim a verse like, we come boldly before the throne of grace. But because of our relationship with Jesus Christ, we are accepted in the beloved. We are no longer God's creation, we are now his children. And we come to our Abba Father and we get to communicate with the divine. We get to participate in his nature because of our knowledge and relationship. We did nothing for this. 
And here's where the glory turns to the goodness. The end of the verse says this, having escaped. This is what, this is what having a godly life does. It helps you escape the corruption that's caused in the world by evil desires. What does the glory and goodness of God do for you? It not only allows you to head towards holiness, it helps you go away from carnality and ungodliness. So my next question for you is this. Which way are you going? What is your next stop on the train? Is it the next fulfillment of what you want to do? Or is it on the next stop to being more like him? Which way are you going? So now verse 5. And here's our memory verse. And this, I'm gonna, we're going to focus on this for the rest of our time. And then we're done. For this very reason. Okay? For this reason. The fact that he's giving us the power to be godly by giving us everything that we need because he has given us his divine power that he's called us because he's glorious and good. It's nothing that we deserved on our own. And we have these very great and precious promises that we are able to participate and communicate with the divine. We have escaped. We have the ability to escape the corruption that's in the world and evil desires. So for this reason, make every effort. So, here's the crazy thing about the sovereignty of God. You still have a choice to serve or not. God didn't create mechanical beings that were just, we're not the angels that just do what God says. We have an ability to not go forward in our Christian life. We can stay stagnant. But you and I both know when you're stagnant, you just are one step in your backsliddenness. So think about this. Those who here, uh, just raise your hand like this real quickly. Who here has been on a diet? Right? Okay. The one day you take off is one day closer for you just getting off your diet. Okay? Because it's supposed to be more like a habitual lifestyle thing, not just some, you know, you're supposed to change what you do. So the same thing is true with your spiritual life. If you don't make, because for this reason, everything we read, if you don't make every effort to talk about the things that we're going to mention, the next verse will tell us what's going to happen. But here's the thing. What is your level of, like, how lazy are you spiritually, is the question. He says we make with every effort to add to your faith, okay? So faith is where it started, right? Add to your relationship with Jesus. Okay, so the first one is goodness. I want you to think about the word goodness. It's the opposite of badness. <laughs> so goodness. What, what does goodness mean? Goodness has the, the idea of not just dwelling on things that are good, but keeping away from things that are bad to the point that you, your character begin, begins to be described as good as opposed to bad. So when we add to our faith, we're adding good things. So what are good things? You know what they are, right? And it goes beyond not killing people. What is goodness? Honorable things, true things, 
Things that, that you should be thinking about as opposed to things that you shouldn't be thinking about. Actions that you shouldn't be doing. Do things that you should be doing. He says this, and goodness, knowledge. Okay, so now here's a little difference. So it's a play on words because he is talking about that relationship, that experience, that intensity that you have with Jesus. But here he is talking about that cerebral and intellectual knowledge of what the Word of God says. Because remember, in order for you to apply the Word of God, you have to first appropriate the Word of God. And so if you haven't put the Word of God into your life and you're not beginning to read it in order for it, even if it is seems like a, like a book smart type of thing, if you're not in the book, the book can't change you. So he says, so start reading it. Get that knowledge. Add to your goodness the knowledge of who God is, of who the Word of God is. You need to increase in those things. Then he says this. To knowledge, self-control. So, this only happens, you're only able to control the evil desires. Remember the corruption of the world through evil desires? The only way that you're able to control that through the means that, that God has given you within yourself is for you to practice goodness and then to be in the Word of God. Because think about this. If someone is not in the Word of God and someone is not dwelling on and becoming someone who is good, does that person usually have self-control? No. They may think they do, but they're running through cravings instead of through principles. And so self-control is being able to have the Word of God continue. Uh, Paul puts it this way, the love of Christ constrains me. It helps me do what I'm supposed to do and not do what I'm not supposed to do. And then he says this, perseverance. This is one of the graces that we have. The fact that you are a child of God, you have been given the ability to keep on keeping on. Okay? And I don't mean that you're not going to get burned out. I don't, that don't mean you're not going to get tired. Is that this is how the writers of the, of the New Testament letters and the Gospels put it. They put it this way. If you truly are in Jesus... It will show by your, by your longevity in the faith. Paul actually wrote to some churches that were worried about different things, and he says this, I know that there are good things to come for you because you have done this. He says, because the way you love each other, because the way you serve your community, because the way you have seen people come to Jesus, I know that you are persevering. And so perseverance isn't just this attitude, I'm just going to, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. It is God is, God is, God is doing it through me. So perseverance is something that you don't see overnight. Just like self-control isn't something that you're able to master overnight. But perseverance means in the long run, we have seen growth. I wrote down a, a, a quote that I think is really, it's not long, it's really short. John Henry Newman said this, okay? Growth is the only evidence of life. How do you know something's alive? Because it grows. If something's not growing, we get concerned. Dr. Zimmerman brought that up the other night. He said, you know, it's cute when a three-year-old does something. It's not so cute when a 37-year-old does it. Growth shows that there's something there. 
and to perseverance, godliness. And that is just the idea of being more like him, being closer to, to doing what, uh, you know, it's not the, the WWJD, it's more than that. It's, it's that you understand this is where God wants you to be, this is the way God wants you to act, and you follow through with that. And to godliness, mutual affection. And this is what the Bible has said throughout the entire time. They will know us by the way we do what? Love one another. You know, it's pretty sad, the divisions that have been caused in churches throughout this entire time. And we're not really being a good testimony to the world by us being divided on lines of politics and news channels that we watch and Facebook groups we're a part of. Mutual affection means that I love you and you love me because of Jesus. And we should be able to persevere on the same road together because of Jesus. And lastly, it says this. Mutual affection, love. Love is such a big word. It's the most foundational word for our faith, right? Love. God is love. Love is what binds literally all of us together. But it's not our love, it's God's love that binds us all together, right? Okay, so here's what the reason why he tells you to add love. We loved him because he first loved us, right? So if that's true, he has given us, remember, everything that we need for godliness, and in that list of things that he adds to our faith, he says in the end, he says, love. Do we display attributes of God's love in our everyday life? And you say, well, I mean, that's just so vast, that's so grand. Let me put it this way. Do you act to other people the way God acts with you? Your level of frustration, your level of patience, your level of self-control, everything that we're supposed to be adding for this reason, because he's given us all the qualities to do that, are we able to love? And you say, well, it's, it's hard. It's hard. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know how they talk about me. You should see that last response to that post that I put. You should, love. Yeah, we'll get to love, Rob. We'll get to it. This is foundational for any change in your life. If you can't love, we have to question whether you understand the love that God has for you. The mathematics of faith begins with a very simple principle. Grace plus, plus peace plus experiential knowledge of Jesus leads to change. Where are we this morning? Father, we thank you for this time. We ask that you continue to use your word to change lives. We love you so much, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
Well, that was a great message, wasn't it? Yes. I am very, very excited that Pastor Rob's a part of our ministry team, and we're going to be doing the next couple podcasts with the series on Second Peter, which I know will be a blessing to you. So we've got a whole bunch of podcasts. If you're joining for the first time, Monday at 2.30, we have Certain Truths and Uncertain certain times. times with Pastor Noah Lang. Tuesday is with Lynn Wilson. Lynn Wilson, Hope for Today. Yep. Wednesday is the Bob and Bill podcast. And then Thursday is the Ripple podcast with Jim Lang. Usually Jim is sharing a testimony by way of interview with a resident of the Colony Mercy or a student at Barbara's Place. So again, we want to thank you for joining us. If you're listening today and you're struggling with something in your life, we have a team of folks that are ready to pray with you. You can call 1-800-453-7942 Monday through Friday between the hours of 8 and 4. One of our staff members would love to pray with you and for you. And just a reminder that America's Keswick does depend on friends like you to support this ministry with your gifts and with your prayers. You can give a gift today right online, www.americaskeswick.org, donate now, or you can call 1-800-453-7942. Well, Bob, I hope you have a good weekend. Thank you. I hope you do too. Hey, God bless. You too.